So given the absolute hysteria that the coronavirus is causing, I thought it'd be wise to make a Skillshare course on the topic of manage meditation for managing fear, panic, and pandemic. I've decided to release it for free on YouTube and on my podcast. The idea is that I want to help as many people deal with the mental duress that this is causing as quickly as possible. So what I'm going to play for you now is that course in its entirety. But if you like what I'm doing and you would like to see the other courses that I've got up that I talk about that I mention, please, please, please follow me on Skillshare at Zach P. Phillips. I'll chuck the links down below so you can get two months free access to see everything else I'm doing. But without further ado, let's start learning how to meditate to deal with panic and pandemic. Cheers. Welcome to the course, Meditations for Managing Fear, Panic and Pandemic. As of recording this video, the world is in a perceived state of crisis. The coronavirus is spreading and everyone is fearful. So I figured that it would be a good idea to make a meditation video of how I'm and how my clients are managing the fear that all of this stuff is, is causing. Now, there's obviously some legitimate danger, but a lot of it, most of it in fact, most fear is caused by the stuff happening in our heads. So in this video, I'm going to teach you five or more different meditation techniques that will help you to just keep going with your day-to-day -day life, to stay functional and to just let go of any excess fear. Some fear is useful because it helps you to stay safe, but all of the excess, the 99% that is just weighing you down and just causing you mental duress, that's what this course is going to help you to remove. My name is Zachary Phillips. I'm an online mental health advocate, author and coach. And in this role, I help thousands of people move from a place of, you know, barely surviving to one that they're passionately thriving. So I hope that you enjoy this course and take something from it because yes, there's things to worry about, but we can limit that worry and we can make it so that we are able to function, to grow and to keep going despite the things that we're hearing, despite the things that we're seeing and just getting a more realistic look at the world around us and our mental state. So without further ado, let's jump into it. The first thing I want to talk about is the reality of the situation. Now, this video is made in response to the coronavirus, but it can apply to everything. There's, there's a level of reality of danger that we live in, okay? There's, there's no avoiding that fact. There is some level of danger, the danger of pandemics, the danger of war, the danger of terrorism, global warming, all of that sort of stuff. However, it's easy to let our thoughts and our fears run wild and run rampant. There's a good practice to start considering is to look at the actual reality of what's happening in your world. You know, if you look outside, if you look at your own situation, your own town, your own community, the people around you, think about the major issue that's going on, the panic, the pandemic, the fear-inducing thing, and look at the reality of your world. Not what you're seeing online, not what you're hearing about, not the speculation, but the real world impact, okay? So what's happening in the real world? So for me, I don't know anyone that's been infected. The, 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 the people that I know of that know of someone that's been impacted, all that's happened to them is that they've been quarantined and they had a mild fever and they've recovered. However, if I look on the news, it's the biggest, worst issue ever. Now, this isn't to say there isn't a chance that something bad will happen, but looking at the reality of my situation right now, I'm inconvenienced because there's no toilet paper or it's hard to get, and canned food is being taken off the shelf, but beyond that, the real world implications for me are minimal. So I like to keep that in mind. I like to look at the reality of the situation. We can apply this to terrorism. During the height of the terrorism scares, in my world, no impact. There just wasn't. 
during the height of Y2K or SARS or bird flu or the anthrax scare or even the bushfires, right? <laughs> it wasn't, the bushfires in Australia were quite big and massive, but in my world where I was living, the impact was minimal. Now, I want to make it clear here, I'm not talking about your, your duty to, you know, be, be a, a social community-based person. I'm not talking about your duty to help. So in terms of bushfires, there are things that I can and did and will do to assist. But that's different to being worried about them. So the point of this part of this course is to just get you to step back and look at your reality. If you're in a situation or in a country or a place where, you know, you're in lockdown and there's cases everywhere and people are dying, well, your reality is different to someone who's in a situation where that's not happening. Okay, so I want you to just look at the reality because fear has a way of taking over and goes, look what's happening here, it'll happen here. Those people are stuffed, you're stuffed. Or if that's what's happening, let's extrapolate it to the worst situation, right? It just runs rampant. And the reason it runs rampant is because we're, we evolved fear for a reason. Fear is actually helpful because it keeps us safe. The animal that was afraid of a predator runs and stays safe. That's what we're doing here. But the problem is, is that a lot of the time it's on overdrive, okay? So let's just be aware of that. Look at the reality of your situation and realize that we have an innate ability to be afraid, that that ability is helpful, but it can overreact. The next thing I want you to be aware of is the motivations of the people giving you information. So the news reporters and the social media where those news are purported and spread out all have a vested interest in getting eyes on their platform, right? The more time you spend on social media, the more time you spend watching a particular news site, the more advertisement revenue they get. Okay, it makes, makes sense. But it, that means that it's in their vested interest. They want you to keep coming back. So how do they do that? They're going to put stories out there that attract your interest and keep you coming. Now, given that we're fear-based creatures, as we've discussed in the previous video, it's likely that the stuff that's going to get you to keep coming back is fear-inducing, right? Now... Let's say they want to hook you and want you to get your comeback. They're going to be like, okay, in the next five minutes, we're going to share this story. And at the end of that story, they're going to say more updates coming soon. And they're going to say, subscribe for more notifications. And they're going to say, you know, sign up for the email list. They're going to say, we're going to give you hourly updates. They're training you to keep coming back to the site or to the website or to their presenter because they want to keep you updated. It's in their best interest to keep you coming back. And therefore, it's in their best interest to keep you fearful. Now, they're not necessarily doing this based on a, you know, like a conspiracy theory where uh, we're going to make these people fearful. It could just be responding to the financial pressures. If I was a news outlet and I knew that people wanted to know about the coronavirus or, or whatever the current threat is, I'll put that out there because that would give me the money because that's what my readers want. But do we see how this is a perpetual cycle and it fuels it? I mean, me doing this very video that you're watching right now is a response to what's happening. And if you're watching it, that is a financial benefit to me, right? So do you see how this works? The financial benefit of people's eyes on the thing gets them money and it causes them to produce more. For example, if this video goes well, I might make another one, i.e. getting these same topics talked about. So if we step back and look at that and realize that the people that are giving us information have a vested interest in keeping us coming back, we start to see that potentially their impact isn't solely for our benefit. Right, so we need to look after ourselves. So now, 
what I see happening in relation to the coronavirus and every other one of these pandemics that come about is, well, one, it's a cyclic. There's always something in the news that's going to threaten us. Remember when Trump was elected, the world was going to end. Or if you're on the different side of the political spectrum, when Obama was elected. Or when, you know, Russia invaded certain countries. Or all of these things. There's always something that's going to end the world. And it cycles. And why does it cycle? Because as soon as this one drops off, those same news people are going to need the next thing to keep us engaged. And it cycles like this. So if you become aware of that cycle, if you look back over that cycle, you can go, okay, this current thing is most likely like that other current thing. But the problem is, is that it always seems the scariest in the present moment because it's easy to look back in hindsight and go, oh, in the past it was like this, but this could be the real thing. Once again, we're fear-based creatures. So me personally, and what I advise to my clients is to step back and just go, okay, recognize the cycle. But then the, the problem, problem that they come up with is like, yeah, but I want to stay informed. It's like, okay, well, how much information do you need? Do you need to be looking at the coronavirus news every day? Do you need to be looking at it one time per hour? What can you do to step back? So if you do want to keep informed because you are curious, you are concerned, once per day. Look up the news once per day and that's it. Yeah? Or once per week or once per month, right? There are different approaches to this. Tim Ferriss in his book, The 4-Hour Workweek, and I'll put a link down to this in, in the further reading, gets people in his life to, well, he went on this sort of media cut in which he cut out all media and then basically said, hey, to people he trusted, tell me if something important happens. I tried that and haven't looked back since. I don't watch the news and the only reason I know about the coronavirus is because everyone's posting about it everywhere. But what I've discovered is, is that nothing happens. Nothing happened to me. And if it was to happen, those people would tell me. Yeah? If my gym closes that I train martial arts at because of the coronavirus, I'll be informed. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is a bit serious now. It's impacting my life. But until it impacts my life, why do I need to know about it? But apply that to everything, particularly if you're an anxious sort of person. So, so for me, I can't stand that constant source of fear. It does my head in, it makes me not functional, it makes me not be able to work, not be able to provide for my family, not be able to do any of the things I enjoy doing. Some people can cope and handle it, but if you are one of those people, you're not probably watching this video. So I suggest one of the practices you should start considering is limiting the amount of information that's coming in, okay? Look at how much you're watching it, check how much you're searching this stuff, and cut it by 10, like, to down to 10%. So, once per day, or once per week. Cut down the amount you're looking at it and you'll discover that you're fine. You didn't lose anything and you're staying up to date, but the anxiety, because you're not constantly thinking about it, will drop. Okay, so let's assume that you've cut out as much of the information, the negativity, the fear-inducing information into your mind. Let's start, let's assume that you've started looking at the world and what's actually happening in your world. So you're getting a realistic look at the world and you're not getting this too much of this fear stuff coming in. Okay, you're in that state. What else can you do to start helping yourself? What else can you do to start reducing it? So the main portion of this video, the rest of this video, I'm gonna go over five different meditations that I and my clients use to help reduce that anxiety, to reduce the fear and to maintain functionality. The idea is that these ones are tweaked to impact this external global sort of fear and put it back in your, into your control. As a side note, in addition to meditation, what I always suggest is that someone gets 
a therapist. Get a competent therapist, someone that you can talk to, that you trust, that when something like this comes up, you can be like, hey therapist, I'm feeling a bit stressed about this. And they will give you uh, researched, personal, focused advice that you can implement, okay? So I can't suggest that, not just for this, but for any sort of mental health concern, get a therapist, get a trusting relationship before a global pandemic fear comes along, right? Because that way that when these things do happen, you've got that relationship built in. For the same reason that, you know, if something traumatic or major event happens in your personal life, you've already got that relationship there. So you don't have to get all of the backstory and all of that, that relationship done. It's already done. And then when something like this happens, you can talk. So I'm going to go over the meditations now, but I can't suggest strongly enough that you'd get a strong connection with a the best therapist you can find. Psychologist, psychiatrist, counsellor, life coach, whatever. Find someone that you can talk to and offload that's external to your situation. Friends and family are great, but they're often too close. Okay, They know you on a personal level and their subjective opinion of you will sway their ability to give you advice. Plus, they're not professionals. So find a professional and get on board. In terms of meditation, I want to encourage you to check out all of the courses that I've got up on meditation. I've got meditation for mental health, I've got managing panic attacks, I've got managing strong emotions, and I've got a meditation mega course. So those courses will go in depth and give you guided meditations. They will go through those specific meditations and give you in-depth instructions. This course is going to cover some of those similar ones and give you some more ideas, but if you find yourself wanting more, check out those courses. Yeah, and I'll put those courses in the further resources as well. I also want to highlight the importance of developing a consistent meditation practice. The analogy to meditation that I want you to consider is one of exercise. If you go and lift weights or go for a run once, it's not going to get you fit or strong. It's, it's healthy and you should, definitely should do it, but the only way to see constant, consistent and awesome results is to do it daily. You need to be meditating daily if you want to see the benefits of this. Now, there will be sort of stopgap meditation, things that you can do in response to panic attacks. And I've got a course on that. But in general, if you want to see long-lasting results to deal with these sort of things that are ongoing, these sort of panic, pandemic, fear-based things will always be out there. The best approach to dealing with that is to meditate daily. So with all the meditations that I'm going to go into, I would strongly suggest that you dedicate some time to doing them every day. I've got a course, and once again, I'll put this into the further resources on establishing a killer morning routine. I meditate every morning. Why? Because I know the benefits to my mental health, just as I exercise every morning, yeah? So establish that killer morning routine with meditation as a prime component and you'll see the benefits skyrocket. So without further ado, let's get into the meditations themselves. The first sort of meditation that I want you to consider is mindfulness or breath-focused meditation. The, the sort of traditional term is called Vipassana. Basically what you do is this, it's very simple. You take a seat, set a timer, close your eyes, and just draw your attention to the breath, entering and leaving the nose, or really wherever you feel it. Now, you can use the breath, you can use a candle flame, you can use a sound. You choose a meditation object. I prefer to use the breath because it's always with you no matter where you go. Now, let's say you set the timer for five minutes. Close your eyes, set the timer for five minutes, and start the meditation. As, as you start to meditate, you'll find your mind wandering. When you notice your mind wandering, you bring it back and focus on the breath again. Just the sensations entering and leaving the nose. So you, you find yourself mind wandering, you bring it back. Your mind wanders, you bring it back. Now, that mind wandering could be memories. It could be emotions. It could be thoughts. It could be you going, oh my God, this is pointless. I feel bored. It could be you getting angry. It could be you daydreaming. Whatever the mental phenomena is that you notice, you bring it back to the nose. Now, I get a lot of questions coming to me saying, oh, I'm not meditating right. I'm distracted on this, on that. I'm not able to focus on the nose. 
that's okay. The meditation in this sense is the act of bringing attention back. That's the meditation. It's not about clearing your mind. Stuff will pop up, but it's happening over here. Your focus is here on your nose, on the sensation of the breath entering and leaving the nose. So your mind will wander, you just bring it back. Mind wanders, bring it back. Why does this work? Well, thoughts aren't you, right? They can feel very overwhelming, can feel like they will take you on this journey. But the thing is, is that you're the thing having the thoughts. And what this meditation does is it helps you to sort of separate that and go, well, I'm over here, my thoughts are over here. So the thought comes and you focus, the thought comes, you focus, the thought comes, you focus, and eventually you can sit in this place, in this breath, in the present moment, whilst the thoughts go past. And eventually you'll start feeling that thoughts are less a part of you and more just a part of something external, more a part of like the surroundings, like a sound. If I go, that sound comes and it goes, you don't hold on to it. But a thought has this grabbing ability, it can draw you into it, the fear can take you. So, what this does is you, you, thought comes, the fear comes, whatever comes, and you just, you're training your brain to return to focus. Beyond the ability to deal with the stress and the fear and all that sort of stuff, it's great for work because you're able to focus on what you're actually trying to do, okay? Like with every meditation, I'll suggest you start small, start with one minute if, if five minutes sounds like a lot, and just slowly build your way up. Please, please, please don't just jump into like, I'm going to do an hour straight away. That's like going, I'm going to just go for a marathon where you haven't run for years, right? Start small, build yourself up every day. The next meditation revolves around relaxation breathing. Now, before you start going, oh, just take slow breaths, let's talk about why using breath work will help. When you're in a fear-based situation, your sympathetic nervous system triggers. It's getting you ready to fight or flight or run, right? Which is great if there's a real threat to your physical environment because you need to do something. But it's not that great when there's sort of external global threats that you can't do anything about. So if you're afraid of something external to you that you can't impact, your body's getting ready to run, it's getting ready to fight, your muscles are getting energy, your pupils are dilating, you're getting all of the, the stress hormones are coming through to get you ready to run, right? But unfortunately, there's nothing to do with that energy, yeah? So this is why exercise, as a side note, is so good because you're burning off some of that excess, <laughs> excess stress, right? On the counter side, relaxation breathing is great because if you're slowly breathing, your body is informing your brain that you're safe. Yeah, your body is saying, hey brain, we're safe, let's calm down. So there's a couple of different ways that you can do relaxation breathing and it's up to you sort of how you do it. You can just do the typical long, sort of in for six, out for six and do that for, you know, 10 breaths. And you could do that every day before you start an activity, when you notice the signs of stress or anxiety, after you go and watch the news, right? But my sort of go-to is square breathing. And you can get some apps to help you with this, but the basic premise is this. You breathe in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, and then breathe out for four seconds. Hold for four seconds, and then breathe in for four seconds. So it's a square, in for four, hold for four, out for four, hold for four, like this. And this forces you to really focus on your breath. You can't be focusing on much else and it slows your breathing rate down really well. I like this. I used, I started off using an app and now I'm able to do it on my own. And it's just an excellent way to 
bring your your mental state back to your physical body because it's actually quite hard. It sounds easy, but it's it's quite challenging when you actually try it. So I encourage you to give it a try. Pause this video. Try ten breaths. Okay. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Now the amount of seconds you do is up to you. Four real seconds is good. Just I'll, I'll put a link to a in the further in the further resources app to, to an app on this so you can sort of follow that guideline, but you can do it yourself. Or just watch timer, however. But the idea is that your body is training your brain to let it know that it's okay. If you're taking calm breaths, if you're eating, if you're reading a book, if you're cleaning your house, right? These are all activities that are calming and that you wouldn't do if you were in danger. If someone came into your home and was threatening you with violence, right? You're not going to be reading a book or cleaning. You're going to be running, right? So conversely, let's go the opposite way. If you're doing those calming activities, your body is telling your brain that it's safe. So with the part of your rational brain, right? Because your, your, your rational brain can impact your emotions and vice versa. Take the time, calm breaths, and get your body to calm your mind down. Give it a try. The next meditation I call labeling. In this approach, you are not trying to focus on anything in particular. You still set your timer, you can close your eyes, open your eyes, whatever you like. But when a thought comes up, you label it. You go, oh, memory. Another thing comes up, fear. Another thing comes up, shame. Another thing comes up, emotional trigger, right? The idea is that you're looking at the stuff that's coming up and you're just labeling it. And the, the, the other way you could do this is you've got this terrible feeling inside and you sort of purposely turn and face it. You turn and look at it and you just feel it and label it for what it is. Not what it's telling you what it is, right? You, you look at it and go, okay, I'm feeling this immense feeling in my belly, this fear-based feeling, this worry, this regret, this whatever it is. And you turn and look at it, you feel it and you label it. And the impact that this has is that it enables you to just let go of it and move on. You're able to look at it and see it for what it really is. Because a lot of what fear is, is this, this unknown sensation developing and growing. But if you just look, step back from that, like I said with the first meditation, the mindfulness, and just look at it for what it is and label it, you go, ah, what I'm feeling now is fear over X, Y, Z. But I'm actually okay. I'm over here and I'm safe. And then you'll find that this disappears. And then the next thing will pop up. Oh, but what about this? Label it. The problem with fear and what it does to us is that we become it. It, it sort of takes over and then we see through that eyes. It's sort of like cellophane over our eyes that are coloring it. But wouldn't it be good if that cellophane was over our eyes and we step back and we go, oh, I was looking through this lens. Label that lens. Label the feelings, the emotions, the thoughts, the mental phenomena, whatever pops up and go, this is what it is. This same thing can be used, this same approach can be used for dealing with physical pain. We have this aversion, do we want to rush away from it? If it's really strong, fair enough. Like, and I'm not saying to do this over like the stupidly strong emotions and feelings and stuff, but you can build up to that. If you hurt yourself, right? Before you go instantly for the med medication to, to dull the pain, just take a little look at it. Like think about it, feel what actually is feel you're feeling, right? Yes, it hurts, but what does pain feel like? And what you'll start discovering is, is that you're actually more worried about the pain continuing rather than looking at what it is. Because when you start looking at what it is, it loses a lot of its power. You can apply this to all different concepts. So you can do this for five minutes, 10 minutes, or just on the spot when you get this overwhelming rush. What am I feeling? And just look at it and it'll start to dissipate. I want to talk about moving meditation. 
Moving meditation is when you're doing the similar form to the first meditation, the mindfulness, but you're doing it through movement. Now, there are some traditional practices that use this basis as a meditation, for example, Tai Chi or yoga. But I like just simple walking. Just literally go for a walk around the block and just focus on the physical sensation. Each step, what do you feel? Right? And as you're walking, you're looking around, you're like, what do I see? What do I hear? Right? What do I smell? And, and hopefully not what do you taste, right? But basically looking at your physical sensations that you're doing as you're going for this walk, just five, 10, 20 minute walk around the block. And you're going, what do I feel, see, touch, taste, and smell? You're putting yourself in the present moment and you're moving. Now this hits multiple markers because you're putting yourself in the present moment, thoughts, everything else will pop up, you acknowledge it, and then you go back to what you can physically sense. So that's one aspect. The second aspect is that you're moving your body, which is great. Any sort of moving of your body will help to reduce the stress and anxiety. And not only that, you're also walking around your physical environment. So if you're afraid for something in the external world and you're taking the steps to walk around and see the reality of your world, you're walking around your neighborhood, unless you're in a dangerous place, right? You'll find that your neighborhood is far safer than the news will tell you it is. It's far less in, at risk. There's not people dying of the in the streets, right? It's just your neighborhood. Go for a walk and actually just be in that physical place. So the basic practice is this. Go outside, do a short walk around the block and come home. And as you're walking, you're focusing on what you can feel, what you can see, what you can smell and what you can hear. Your thoughts wander, you bring your attention back. Your thoughts wander, you bring it back. And you'll find that it just, it just, it helps put you in that present moment and gets you going for the day. This meditation I actually got from the Wheel of Time series and it's The Candle and the Void. So if you've read it, you know what I'm gonna talk about. But basically you visualize or actually have a real candle and you just stare at it and you push your thoughts, your emotions, your fears into that candle and let it consume it. And the idea is that you sit with the void that you end up with. Thoughts come up and you just visualize them falling into the candle and burning away. This is a variation on the mindfulness practice and that's probably where the author got it from, right? But it does work and it works because it uses our imagination to go, okay, this flame that you're imagining or that you're actually getting is literally burning those thoughts away. It's getting rid of them. And when all of these thoughts disappear, what are we left with? We're left with the present moment. And if you do this, and if you focus on the candle and you shove all your negativity and all your thoughts and all your doubts and everything into that candle, into that flame, you're left with this calm peace. It's not exciting, it's not amazing, it's just, whew. I've done this a bunch and when you get to that feeling, you can operate, you can act, you can decide, you can think with so much more clarity because you're not clouded. All the thoughts are in that flame. So get a real candle or visualize the candle and just push your thoughts into that. You start worrying about this thing, into the candle it goes. Oh, I'm freaking out. Candle. I'm remembering, candle, right? Just push it into that flame and let it dissipate and sit with the void that follows. Give it a try. The final meditation involves changing your inner dialogue. Your body and your brain have the ability to impact each other, okay? Like we talked about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, when you're mentally stressed, your body changes. But when your body changes, your mental state also changes. And they've done studies on this. For example, they got people to smile, just hold that smile face or hold a good posture and they measured their moods before and after. And the very act of 
changing the body, changing the posture, slow breathing, all of that sort of stuff caused the mental state to change. Yeah. So we're going to use that ability to impact us purposefully. So I want you to say the following phrase to yourself. I am happy. Or the following three phrases. I am happy. I am healthy. I'm successful. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm successful. What does this do? You're, 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 you're purposely trying to rewire the thoughts that go through your brain. Now let's look at this in terms of a, you know, a pandemic outbreak. If you're thinking to yourself, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. You're actually telling yourself that. Now this isn't mystical, like, oh, the energies are going to get you and all this sort of stuff. This is you not, it's you sort of purposely beating down your resistance levels. Your body and your mind are interconnected. Someone that has a positive outlook that feels better about themselves is more likely to push through to do the self-care, to take the actions that will keep them healthier, right? So I would suggest to you that you start saying to yourself, I am happy, I'm healthy, I'm successful. Even if it's just to stay internally consistent, would a healthy person constantly be looking at the news and freaking out about it? Would a healthy person wash their hands or not wash their hands, right? Just to stay internally consistent, if you say those things to yourself, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm successful, as a sort of mantra, you will start believing it. And if you start believing it, you'll start taking actions that will cause those things to happen. We're doing this on purpose. Now, obviously there's this faith gap in the sense that you have to have faith that if you do this practice, it's going to help. But we have to have faith for everything. It is worth giving it a try. Even just for the reason that wouldn't, wouldn't you like to be able to condition yourself to just, when you think about yourself, that you think that you're a healthy person, okay? It will start off and it might feel fake. It might feel flawed. But trust me, and I've done this practice every day now for years, I will say to myself, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm successful. And I like to do it both just as the words like that, but also a more formally with meditation beads. So this is just a set of beads that you can get online. Just look up meditation beads and you'll be able to see them. They're from all different religions, all different practices. And there's, you know, prayers and stuff associated with them. I'm not saying to use them for that. What I'm saying is just as a simple count, you hold a bead, you say to yourself, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm successful. And then you move that bead on. I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm successful. And you keep going. And you can do this while walking in that previous meditation if you like. Or you could do it just for yourself seated down. You focus on the thought, you focus on the bead, you focus on your mantra, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm successful. And you can even say it out loud, whisper it to yourself or just in your head. And you do it for the amount of beads and then you're done. Now, this set has like over 100 but you could get one that has 10 or 30 or whatever you feel comfortable with. The idea is that you're purposely choosing to change the thoughts in your mind. Everything that we see, right? The news, the music, the people we talk to all have the ability to impact our mental state, okay? We're just choosing to take that power and turn it towards something tremendously positive. I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm successful. Stand up straight, smile, right? So the class project for this course will be to start a meditation practice. Use any one of the meditations that we talked about in this course, or multiple, it's up to you, and do them. Start doing them daily, okay? All the class project will be, will be you saying, I started this type of meditation practice, for example, mindfulness, for example, walking. I started doing walking meditation. I did this many minutes, and this is how I felt about it. That's it. Just one entry. 
Now you can keep adding to that entry every day if you like, and I'll give you feedback in terms of if you've, you know, even just encouragement, good job, keep going, that helps. But if you have any questions, queries, concerns, something that you need me to address that I didn't address in this video, there's your place to do it in the class project. Now you might go, well, why do I need to even bother? A couple of reasons. I can give you the feedback, I can give you the encouragement, but importantly, if you're, if you're accountable to me by doing the class project, you're more likely to do it. You're more likely to be consistent. You're more likely to actually get the benefits. So many people watch so many courses and they go, oh yeah, that's great information and they don't do it. In the same way with exercise, you're only gonna get strong if you actually lift the weights and you're only gonna get the benefits of meditation if you actually do it. So do a meditation, write about it, tell me about it and we can start the dialogue. Get onto it now, okay? And do it daily. So let's talk further resources. As I've previously mentioned, I've got a bunch of courses already up on meditation for a variety of different parts, as well as the course on getting an, establishing a morning routine. So I'll put the courses all in the uh, show notes and you can start clicking and making your way through those if you think that'll help you. I also want to, I'll also put a link to the square breathing, as well as to the Tim Ferriss book, The 4-Hour Workweek. But I've got some other books in general on meditation that I think would help if you want to go deep. A lot of the information that I've got has come from personal practice, from reading a bunch of books, doing online courses in, in practice. And I want to sort of summarize the best of those courses. Now, in terms of a summary, I've written myself a book called How to Get Your Shit Together. Now, there's a few chapters in that book on meditation. So we'll put links to those chapters and you can read them for free. All right. So how to get your shit together. There'll be a bunch of chapters up there that I've already gone in depth on a few of these topics on how to meditate, on relaxation, breathing, on turning off the news, on establishing a morning routine, all of that sort of stuff. So that's already up and out there and available for free. But a couple of different books that I would suggest that you, if you really want to go deep in terms of meditation would be, and I've, I've talked about these in the previous courses, Mindfulness in Plain English and The Mind Illuminated. And trauma sensitive mindfulness. Okay, I'll put the links down below so you can grab yourself a copy of all of these. But basically, if you're wanting in-depth book-based reading knowledge on how to meditate, those books, in addition to my book, How to Get Your Shit Together, are the way to go. Because I've, I, like I said, I've read a lot and a lot of it is, whilst very useful, it's hard for the, the beginning person to make any, you know, make any sense of it. And the people writing it are amazing meditators and they have you know, a depth of knowledge, but they're not teachers. So they struggle to communicate how to do it. But those books, and I'll put, like I said, the links down below, are the best of the many, many, many resources out there. And the final resource I would suggest to you if you want an ongoing daily meditation assistant and app will be the Sam Harris Waking Up app. I use it daily. Um, I've, I've clocked in every day and I think I'm up to 270 days in a row and it's got meditation cows, it's got meditations for children, it's got lessons, it's got conversations, it's amazing. I strongly, strongly suggest that you grab that app and meditate daily. It's a way that you can help, help keep yourself consistent. So check out the, the show notes or the description and I'll put the links to all of these further resources so you can go deep if you'd like. But like I said, check out my other Skillshare courses because I've probably answered some of those questions that you have that you could get from these books there. And then if you still need it, then you can go deep with these resources. So let's do a little recap. The first couple of videos, I talked about the fact that there's always going to be something to fear in the media. So you need to tell, take a step back and realize that process, that news is cyclic, that when the current thing disappears, the next thing will happen and so on and so forth. Okay. So if you're aware of that, you know that the news is going to be overblown and designed to keep you fearful and keep you coming back. 
So I'll suggest you take a step back and limit the amount of time you spend watching and consuming that news, particularly if it's stressing you. And since you're watching this video up to this point, it clearly is. I would also suggest that you look at the impact, the real world impact in your life. Not what the news and other people are telling you, but what's actually happening in your life now. What's actually going on right now, as opposed to what people are telling you is going on. Now, from beyond that, I would suggest that you consider doing a daily meditation practice. We covered a bunch of different types of meditations, including mindfulness, walking, sort of focusing on your, your present state as you're doing the walking, the, the, the self-conditioning in, in terms of saying, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm successful, as well as dumping all of your emotions into the candle flame. All of these different types of meditations are great. Try them all, find one that works for you, and then start meditating. Doing it daily is the best way to get the benefit because like we did with the, uh, the exercise analogy, you can't expect to exercise once and get super fit and strong. Same thing with meditation. I would also suggest that in the moment or potentially as an ongoing practice, you do calm breaths in and out, long and slow, or potentially the square breathing. And you can actually combine that square breathing with your meditation. So you do a bit of breathing, then your meditation. Yeah. If you like what I'm doing, I would love, love, love up there at saying review this class. Please give me a good review and let me know what you'd like me to talk about next video. And if you like what I'm doing here, start following me on Skillshare because I'm going to be releasing a new course, hopefully once a month, potentially more than once a month. And if you want to see everything else I'm doing, the books, the blogs, the podcasts, all of that sort of stuff, head over to my website, zachary-phillips.com, and you can follow me on social media at Zach P. Phillips. I'm always up for a chat and I love hearing feedback and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, like, let, let's be real. There's always something to be afraid of, but we're always fine. Step back. Let's give ourselves the ability to not only logically understand that, but an emotional state and calm ourselves down and just be here. Yeah. Thank you.